So this is the Q&A portion of our morning, and uh, I, you know, I didn't collect the cards yet, so if we've got somebody willing to raise their hand and ask the first question uh, while, while uh, he's answering that, I'll start with Jennifer in the back. I'll, I'll collect the cards, so you can pass those to the front. If you have other questions come up midstream that you want to write down, that's okay too. Just bring them along the side. Um, I can shuffle the deck. No one will know it was yours. So, but Jennifer, why don't you ask your question, and then I'll collect the cards while Christopher is responding to that. Yes. Sure. So, can and I want to repeat yeah. the questions for the recording. So, can you give a snapshot of uh, the talk that you give on nature versus nurture? Um, I, I start out just talking about um, uh, some of the science, the studies that have been shown. Uh, there's three main groups of studies. Uh, first are the, the twin studies, and, um, and, and shown that really it's, it's inconclusive that, um, that people are, are born gay, um, but what if the studies are, and, and actually, What's interesting is the studies that that are often kind of quoted as showing, you know, there's, you know, 52% of twins, you know, there's a concordance rate when when one twin is gay, the other one is gay. Um, That study has not been replicated ever. And the most recent one shows um, numbers that are closer to maybe eight or nine or seven or, you know, around there percent. Um, And that was done in Sweden. Um, so it's, it's most likely that it's a combination of factors. Um, and, and when we talk about, about, about a combination of factors, it means that some could be biological and some are um, environmental, that it's many different factors, that overall sexuality is very complex. And I talk about kind of the, the, theologically, does that kind of fit in? Because sometimes we think, oh, well, there can't be any biological link to um, to homosexuality, but if we look at sinful nature, how is that passed on from generation to generation? I think there's a sense when we, when we look at the, the fall of man that all creation have been distorted because of sin, that I think that can include our biology. Um, so I believe that, um, I think theology supports this and even science supports this, that homosexuality has multiple factors. That each person, how did this person become gay, if we can even say that? Well, it's many different factors. We, for one, we don't really know precisely, but most likely it's many different factors. Some factors that are biological, some factors that are environmental. So that's, that's basically what, what I believe. But, but overall, um, it's, it's pointing uh, most toward that it's not innate or fixed at birth, meaning um, that... There could be some factors that are there at birth, but there's also some factors that come after birth as well, some of that environmental factors. Um, and because the difficulty in, in looking at that, I mean, because most psychologists and socio- sociologists see that sexuality is something to, that develops across a person's lifetime, that at birth, any, any sexuality, heterosexuality or homosexuality, it's not present at birth, it develops across you know, a person's lifetime. So, yeah. Yes? Oh. There, there are... Two of these questions that have already come in that are related to that one. So okay. can I follow up sure. with that, and then we'll we'll continue asking. Um, it does not make sense to me that anyone would choose to be gay. It appears to be a preference from birth. 
which you're just addressing a little bit. So there might, you might have already covered this, but in case there's some clarification. Uh, why would anyone choose a life that is clearly discriminated uh, about? I think they mean against. Does, does God not create gay people? And the second one is very similar. Why would God choose to make people homosexual, forcing them to live alone? So I think the question underneath that and related to the nature to nurture question, well, if it is sinful and if there are biological factors involved, is God creating people gay and then telling them they can't live in accordance with how he created them? What do we do with that? Yeah, I, I think um, we create a false dichotomy where, where we think there's only two options. It must be either choice or it must be born that way. And, and I think that's both are incorrect. Homosexuality is not something that anyone shows. I did not choose to um, have these feelings. Um, but then does that mean that the only other option is born gay? You see what I mean? I mean, I, I think that for some reason we've kind of created this false dichotomy that it's either born that way or it's a choice. Uh, but if, if we understand, uh, you know, a, 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 th a theology of humanity, um, choice has nothing to do with um, a sinful, uh, sinful nature has nothing to do with a choice. A human nature, I mean, did anyone choose to, to have that nature? None of us did. Did anyone, uh, uh, let me give you another example. Um, uh, selfishness. Did anyone choose to have selfish desires? Anyone choose to um, to be jealous, have those feelings. No. no, so we can't say that just because um, that's not a choice, then therefore it must be born that way or must be okay. So I, I think we, we need to kind of break down that incredibly kind of false paradigm that I think both are incorrect, that really science has not proven that people are born gay, um, no matter what Lady Gaga sings. <laughs> but, you know... It's, it's really, if you read the scientific facts, the articles that are out there, it is um, it, that science has not proven that people are born gay. That is not, uh, science has not proven that it is innate at fix. Um, but most likely, there's many different factors. I think we all have predispositions toward many different things that at birth we have a bent toward different things. So I think a person can be ha have a leaning toward homosexuality or another person can have a leaning toward something else, uh, but throughout life um, that it develops. So um, that's, that's, that is actually what science is supporting today. American Psychological Association supports that. American, uh, American Association of Pediatrics supports that. Um, so, but to say that it's, a, it's not a choice, so therefore it must be born gay, that's actually very bad logic and um, pretty not very scientific. What was the, other, the second part of that question? Um, the, the element of why would God choose oh, to do that to someone if it's going to be such a hard lifestyle or they're going to have to live alone, why would God do that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I think it's, it's again, um, I, I, I try to, when we ask these questions, often we ask questions, um, I, I look at what's the premise behind that and maybe a presupposition, and I think the presupposition, again, is going back toward when I was talking about singleness. Um, we think that singleness is a, a horrible existence, and yet I, I don't see that as being 
um, you know, factual. And, and actually, you know, does that mean that all married people are not lonely? I know handful of married people that are uh, people that are married and lonely. So um, it's not that marriage is the answer or brings somehow contentment. I think we, we put the emphasis upon the wrong thing, and it's not that... Our goal in life is not to get married, period. God created us so that we would be in relationship with him. It was, it's, you know, Jesus, when he said, when he was asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? He didn't say get married. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the greatest commandment. The second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. We want to make the second commandment the greatest commandment. We want to love people with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so um, as we do that, that is relational idolatry by making the second commandment the greatest commandment. So it's not loving people with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's loving God. With all. You know, we, we sometimes think that I love God better by loving people first. No, actually, we love people better by loving God first. So we need to get the first thing first. And then as we get the first thing first, that actually allows us to then love um, people, I think, more fully and more completely. And so that, that's kind of the focus. Thanks. So I, I think that, and, and, and actually, um, studies, in 2008, there's a, um, a census that was done, and it showed that 45% of American adults are single. And of course, they're not necessarily all, all never married, but it's never married, uh, divorced, and um, uh, widowed. So, of course, that, this doesn't mean all these people are living celibate lives, um, but uh, probably a good portion of them. I, I know most, most of my friends that are single and celibate that are in the 30s or more, they want to get married. So does that mean that they are miserable and that God was really unfair. I mean, I, I think that we really need to change our paradigm even on what it means to be single. And if we're going to ha- even minister in this generation, we have to really have a place for singles um, within the church. That's good. Excellent. Uh, wow, we got a whole row of them. We'll start on this side and work our way in. So, is Esther? Is it? Or is it? Okay. <laughs> Great. So, what is the proper response or view of gay pastors serving in a church? Um, well, I think as many of the main, mainline denominations that have um, PCUSA, ELCA, um, have, and, and the Episcopalian churches that have kind of, that are ordaining um, gay pastors, I, I, I feel like they have kind of gone to the second step before they've even addressed the first step. Um, and they've just assumed that homosexuality is, is, is not um, a sin. And when I say homosexuality, I'm not talking about people who um, have same-sex attractions or have that orientation. I'm talking about, um, you know, homosexual sex or, um, you know, the uh, exclusive homosexual relationships. Um, but that, I, I believe, through Scripture has been... Um, has been talked about, and um, I, I think that those kind of denominations that have or kind of passed that have not 
kind of even talked about sexuality in general because many of them then make this these this other this another standard. So um, if you're heterosexual, then you can be married. But if you're homosexual, then just be in a committed relationship. Um, and I feel like we, we really need to kind of go back to what does Scripture talk broadly? Just what, what, is, what is marriage? And what are the examples that we have throughout Scripture? Is homosexuality something that God endorses or, or doesn't before we even talk about um, or ordination or even leadership or even membership um, and all those things? Um, so I think many of these denominations have skipped over that and just assumed that this is not a sin and just said, well, we need to ordain that. Because certainly, if, this, if it is not a sin, well, yeah, then, then these people should be able to um, serve and do whatever. Um, but if this is a, a moral issue, then, then I think that would be um, an issue. So as I interact with uh, friends of mine that go, go to gay-affirming churches, um, f- for me, I, I, th- I think... On the majority of those cases, the issue isn't actually homosexuality. I feel that, that it's almost like a peripheral issue, and the core issue is the authority of Scripture. What is the Word of God? Is the Word of God truly the Word of God? Um, is the Word of God, um, uh, you know, inerrant and um, true? Uh, and that then affects uh, the gospel um, because if, as evangelicals, we see the gospel is about, um, um, you know, it, it's a spiritual issue about sinful man needing a perfect savior. Uh, but for many of these denominations, uh, the gospel has kind of just become this do good, the social gospel. And so that, to me, is more important to focus on that as opposed to focusing on the, the homosexual issue, homosexuality issue. Can I, can I follow up to that? Yeah, go Sure. So, because I, I read some of the, uh, like some of the books, like Jack Rogers, mm-hmm. who's a Presbyterian moderator, and he's like in charge of Presbyterian Church in Fuller, right? He points out, like, for example, you know, it's it's we're we're being inconsistent with our argument because if we only focus on the Old Testament, Moses actually lays out laws for even polygamy, and he also lays out laws for slave marriages. Not only does he lay out laws, he actually allows the practice of it. For example, when they conquer the Midianites, and yet we make we say as Good. Let me tr- let me try and summarize that sure. real quick. So no, that's great. Um, 
related to what you're talking about earlier, just the question of, so does scripture really condemn homosexuality or have we misunderstood some things? Mm-hmm. Are we being inconsistent in our application? Uh, Old Testament laws that condemn homosexuality also condemn other things that we don't ignore. And examples in addition uh, to what Paul was talking about, you know, laws against trimming the edges of your beard or uh, not sowing two kinds of seed in one field. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet the Old Testament doesn't condemn some things that we do condemn, mm-hmm. uh, or at least in, in the Mosaic law in terms of polygamy. Coming to the New Testament, how much does the historical background of homosexual relationships in the first century Greek culture uh, relate to what the New Testament's addressing? Is it really an issue of adultery and pedophilia and not so much committed homosexual relationships? So how do we understand Scripture and what it's really teaching on those things? Yeah, and, and I, I think um, a lot of, if you just go on YouTube and see, there's a lot of stuff out there on, you know, what, this, what does the Bible really say about homosexuality? And, and kind of, I feel that... Um, it is very convincing, and, 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 I'll, and I'll have to totally give that to them. But the reality, okay, let's, like, how much time do we have? Um, but let's, let's just stay with the Old Testament first, and then we'll go to the New Testament. Um, regarding, um, we're picking and choosing. Um, when we're talking about homosexuality and comparing other things that the Bible, can, uh, that the Old Testament condemns, and, and it's out of Leviticus, Leviticus 18.22, Leviticus 20.13 are the passages that condemn homosexuality. Uh, Genesis 19 is another one that, that could be mentioned, but it, I don't think that that's a, uh, a passage that is specifically only on homosexuality. Um, but let's just go to Leviticus 18.22 and 20.13, the Holiness Code, uh, which chapters 18 through 20 are, are referring to, which do also mention cutting your beard, having sex with a menstruating woman, um, mixing seed, all these things. Um, and so often people say, well, if, if we're going to condemn homosexuality, why aren't we condemning these things as well? The, the problem with that argument is, um, and, and as believers in Christ, we, we you know, see that, there, yes, there are some laws that we hold to in, in the Old Testament, and there's some laws that we don't hold to. We don't t- hold to the cultic laws anymore. We don't offer... Um, we don't sacrifice the lamb anymore. Why don't we sacrifice the lamb anymore? Because the perfect lamb has already been sacrificed. So therefore, all those cultic, the temple laws have, have been fulfilled. Well, what about the other law? I mean, how do we then differentiate between what is cultic and what is not, what is moral? Well, one clear way is to look at the penalty. What's the penalty of shaving your sideburns? Anyone know? Grow it out. What's the penalty of mixing fabric? Throw your clothes away. What's the penalty of mixing seed? Mix, throw the crop away. Uh, what's the penalty? How about this one? Does anyone know what the penalty is of having sex with a menstruating woman? Seven days. Good. Levit- Leviticus 15. Yeah. Is it death? Not death. You're unclean for seven days. So it's like, well, let's see. Am I, you know, seven days? Is it worth it or not? You know, I mean, it's, you know, but, but what's, the, what's the penalty for homosexuality? Death. What's the, what's the penalty for dishonoring your parent? Death. Okay, so would we say that dishonoring your parent is no longer a sin? No. 
I mean, we see that clearly as a moral issue. Would we then kill our children? I mean, I, many of us may want to, uh, but I, I think, what, you know, yes, even though the penalty for homosexuality is death, but we, there's a difference just like, you know, I mean, I know the, you know, the, the justice system pretty well now. There's a difference between, you know, you go to court twice, you're, you're condemned first, you know, you're, you're either guilty or not guilty, and then you get the punishment. So in the same way, I see it kind of different, I mean, in, in two stages. I mean, whether this is either wrong or it's not, and then you get the penalty. And so don't confuse that, okay, well, then why aren't we killing all gay people? Because, well, then why aren't we killing our children that are dishonoring God? Because that's talking about the penalty. That's not referring to whether it's moral or immoral. Um, but I, I look at what's the penalty as deciphering what is an a clean, unclean issue and what is a moral issue. So, so that's how I would distinguish for the Old Testament. Um, and then also for the New Testament, uh, if we're going to the New Testament, um, those issues, often people will say, what Paul is talking about is, is pedophilia, um, because in the Greco-Roman period, uh, that was fairly common that a man would have sex with a boy. Uh, the problem that I see with that is um, Paul, uh, he kind of made up a word in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, um, which is arsenikoite, um, and if he was specifically talking about pedophilia, he could have used a Greek word that was very common during that time, and it's pederastes. Pederastes is the Greek word for pedophilia, for a man and a boy, um, but he didn't do that. He created a, a, a word, which you, you can kind of do that in Greek, and, and you kind of German, you kind of, you, know, you kind of create compound words. Where in the world did he come up with this word? word? And a lot of scholars kind of, kind of go back and forth. Where he created that word, arsenikoitai, arsane is the Greek word for male, koite is a Greek word for bed. Where he got those two words is the Old Testament, Leviticus 18.22 and 20.13. Those two passages that I just mentioned where it says, a male shall not lie with a male as he does um, with a woman. The word that's used, okay, I don't know uh, if, how many of you guys know this, but the Hebrew Old Testament has been translated, was translated into the Greek, and that's called the Septuagint. So the New Testament writers, they knew the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, much better than they do the Hebrew Old Testament. So what Paul was doing was actually alluding to Leviticus 18.22 by creating a, two, uh, a, a new word by taking from 1822 the word for male and the word for lying or the word for bed and putting them together, which I think then he is reaffirming what Moses said in Leviticus 1822 and 2013 to say that's actually what I'm talking about and condemning that. So to, and, and there, uh, you know, it's talking about, you know, just any time a male and a male lie together, that, that's a sin. Um, sometimes, I'll go back to the Old Testament, sometimes people will say, well, that's talking about uh, temple worship, and because back then in the ancient Near Eastern culture, uh, temple prostitutes was pretty common, where men would pretend to be women, and in many of the idol worship, um, cultic practice was their, their fertility rights, and part of fertility rights was basically just having sex, so like you can have crops. I mean, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know where they came up with that, but that's a lot in, in the ancient, <laughs> ancient culture. So uh, male prostitutes was a big thing, and so a lot of the kind of modern uh, 
liberal the theologians say well, that's what Moses was condemning, or he wouldn't, they wouldn't even say Moses. That's what the writer of uh, Leviticus would, was condemning back then. But the problem with, and, and, and the reason why they do that is because in Leviticus 18.21, it says you shall not offer your children to Molech you know, sacrifice your children to Molech. And so they're saying, see here, they're talking about idol worship, so therefore Leviticus 18.22, the verse after, would therefore must mean also the idol worship as well. So their point basically meaning what Leviticus 18.22 is condemning here is not um, homosexual sex per se, but it's condemning um, homosexual sex in the temple. So therefore, loving homosexual monogamous consensual adult homosexual sex is okay, just don't do it in the temple. Uh, the problem with that is we need to apply that across the board. So just like, a, like you're saying, we need to be consistent, right? So if that's the case, then that would need to also be the case with everything else that's mentioned between chapters 18, 19, 20, such as adultery. So adultery, it's really okay, just don't do it in the temple. Um, incest is also mentioned there in 18, 19, and 20. So incest is really okay if you do it lovingly and consensually, just don't do it in the temple, in idol worship. Um, uh, bestiality, it's really okay if you do it lovingly, just don't do it in the temple. You know, offering your children to Molech, it's really okay, just don't do it in the temple. So, so you see how it's, it's inconsistent, the, the logic that's trying to be, be created there. Um, so that's uh, Old Testament, New Testament. While we're on that subject, are there any other questions about how people have used the Bible or things that people have been raised that you might um, be curious about? Those are two really good things. Mark? Just the point that something the Old Testament mentions the actions of some people without really condoning those actions. Okay. Right. But it condemns it really sort of um, inference by inference because there's never a happy religious marriage. Right. So it mentions, like the slave marriage, it mentions that happening, but as a historical fact, not as condoned. Right. And, and, and I agree with you because often the argument is made, um, or do you want to repeat that? Okay. The, often the argument is made that um, the Bible uh, condones polygamy. And we need to be careful that, um, you know, as we read scripture, we need to know uh, what genre we're reading it in, uh, whether it's a legal text or whether it's um, a poetic text or whether it's a narrative. And in all those, the passages that kind of talk about polygamy, it's narrative text. Well, we don't get um, laws from narrative text just simply because something happens in narrative text story. Um, we don't say that, therefore, that God blesses it. But exactly like you said, in, in many of the examples that we see of uh, a husband having many wives, it is, dis I mean, I yeah, it's crazy. I don't see why anyone would want to have many wives. I mean, it's so, uh, you know, with all these children, I mean, just crazy. So exactly like you said, I think actually the Bible is um, actually continuing to uh, say, no, it's monogamous, um, one man, one woman. New Testament is clear as well. Uh, the other point that I, that I wanted to say real quick on the New Testament, often people will say, well, Jesus is silent on homosexuality. Um, that's kind of a really common uh, thread that we hear all the time. And really, if you, if you didn't know kind of that, I mean, the logic is very convincing. But if you kind of look deeper 
at what else Jesus was silent on? Because the argument goes, Jesus was silent on this, so, and Jesus didn't make a big deal out of it, so why are we making a big deal of it? Well, Jesus also was silent about incest. Jesus was also silent about bestiality. Jesus was also silent about wife beating. I mean, all, Jesus was silent about a lot of things. Why was he silent on those things? Silence is never a really good argument for or against something unless you have some other background um, kind of context to support it. And I think we have context support that actually Jesus is silence. Jesus, Jesus' silence supports traditional views of sexuality. And the reason is because Jesus was silent about bestiality, incest, all those things, because in Hellenistic Judaism, Incest and bestiality was unanimously known as condemned as being sinful. So why in the world would Jesus need to waste his breath saying that same thing? Actually, Jesus spent a lot of time going against what was kind of unanimously known as being, you know what I mean? I mean, he spoke against those Pharisees, all those extra rules and laws that the Pharisees were creating. He spoke against that. So Jesus never held back to what was kind of assumed to be true at that time. And so, in the same way, homosexuality was unanimously seen as being sinful during Hellenistic Judaism during that time. And as Jesus came in that context and ministered, if he truly believed that homosexuality was not a sin, he would not have held back and spoke against that homosexuality actually is not sinful. So actually, uh, silence is on the side of uh, traditional sexuality. David. So, um, and maybe we can get a little bit more specific, you know, um, someone who grows up in the church, uh, goes into a gay lifestyle, shows up Sunday morning, still living that lifestyle, and I'm not supposed to use the word lifestyle, <laughs> but I, I have to reprogram my brain on several things, but um, they're still practicing, and, and they show up Sunday morning. Awkward silence, and how, how, what do we do, how do we respond as believers in Jesus mm-hmm. in that moment. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think there's, there's many different ways that people would respond. I mean, the way I would respond, I would just welcome them. I mean, I, I think, um, and, 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 and we need to be um, careful here, too, when we're talking about homosexual people or people who are gay. Um, and, and, and so Brandon was 
was was referring to maybe someone who's who's practicing because now we have people who uh, when we say talk about homosexuality or people who are gay or it, it can be um, pretty broad now that some people I know some friends who say that they're gay and celibate um, and they hold to a traditional view of sexuality but they still say they're gay I personally do not prefer to um, say that I am gay or not gay or straight, or I don't, I don't want my sexuality to be that identifying marker. I, I don't deny that I still have same-sex attraction, um, but that's not kind of part of who I am. So it, it would be kind of um, good to at least know where are, are they at in um, Christ in this, in this picture. Is, are they pursuing um, homosexual relationships, or are they um, you know, seeing that this is something that... Um, they uh, would forego for the sake of Christ. Um, but if it's someone who's kind of embraced homosexuality, I think, you know, I, I don't see that we would um, need to treat them any different, and, and we would hope for them to, um, I mean, if they come to church, praise God. I mean, especially if it's an evangelical Bible-preaching church, um, where else are they going to, you know, hear the love of God? Uh, so I would welcome them and, and not want them to leave. Uh, of course, then the question comes about membership and leadership and that, and, and, and I think that we would just need to be consistent across the board with how we would treat other people um, who might be living in ways that we see are not in line with uh, Scripture. Right in the middle of, she's like, so what is, what do you think about homosexuality? And I can't believe in a God who would condemn those people. She's like, oh. Yeah. I was kind of stuck. Because mm-hmm. I felt like we had made some progress, and then I was like, oh, yeah. what Yeah. Well, I, I would personally say God doesn't look at homosexual people any different than heterosexual people. He sees us all as people who desperately need Jesus. Um, he sees us all as um, people who are imperfect. You know, I, I, when, especially someone who's not a Christian, I tend to shy away from using the word sin. Um, that's just me, I don't know, because now it's become such this hot word that you say it, you, they think you're Bible-thumping and they kind of turn you off. So I, I'm just a little more careful, until I kind of build some relationship and people understand what sin is. Because often sin means I've killed someone, I've stolen someone, something, I've raped some. you know what I mean? And they don't equate it to like a white lie or something, you know. Um, and so to say that homosexuality is sinful, that's very offensive. They're like, I've never killed someone, that can't be the same thing. So I would just kind of make it just just equal that, you know what, God doesn't see, look at gay people any differently than, it, than he does anyone else. He loves them dearly, um, knows that they are in desperately need of a savior. So I would just leave it at that. So in Massachusetts, uh, gay marriage has been legal for several years. It's uh, not uncommon to have uh, children in that gay marriage. So whether by adoption or, or you know, 
one of the, the spouse's uh, natural child. You're sharing the gospel. Someone, one of them comes to faith and is con- coming under conviction of sin. What do you do? Do you disrupt that marriage? What about the child? How do you navigate that? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I've actually known of, of situations like that. Um, one situation where both kind of came to faith and um, felt, uh, um, you know, coming to Christ. And um, so I, I never want to give any one pet answer because I, I think it really must depend on each situation that that person needs to just be in prayer. Um, I mean, I, I think obviously if, if they're feeling conviction of that and, um, and they feel like they can't continue that relationship, then, I mean, you know, there, there, needs, there, there probably will be some change, especially if one has come to Christ and the other one hasn't. Um, but it's, it's never uh, kind of any easy situation, especially with, with children being involved. Um, but, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, the other partner can, can come, to, come to know the Lord as well. Um, and also, I mean, it gets even more complicated with that is there's, there'll probably be, um, you know, a house that's owned together and property and, and other things. So I, I, I would say I wouldn't really give any answer and, and just kind of, you know, let's, let's just pray about this and think about this. Um, and uh, as it's very complex with all these different issues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we probably have time for one more question. Mimi, did you have one? So that's great, but what, what's your uh, general understanding or position on the question of whether uh, gay couples should adopt? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you just keep doing what you're doing now and love on your friends. Um, uh, you know, these, I have friends of mine, too, that um, are gay couples and they've adopted children, and the children are just wonderful kids. These, um, they're, you know great people, um, good parents. So um, I, I think it's a very complex issue, and I don't know, you know, I think politics is not my forte, and I'm glad that I have a felony so I can't run for office. <laughs> um, <laughs> even though in Illinois that could be a plus. Um, so I'm... I'm yeah, I, I know with politics, I just, um, I, I, I want to, um, I, I want to make sure that even in our politics that hopefully our, the gospel should be um, our, our driving force in, in whatever we do, where I, I want to see people um, uh, above any issue. So, um, 
though you know I personally believe uh, you know that scripture is, is clear on the examples throughout throughout scripture of that marriage is between a man and a woman um, I I have um, many friends and, and I almost feel like you know I, I have friends in Canada and it's kind of like okay that's been passed and so there's not that fight in battle I, I feel like a lot of people are, are um, that aren't in the church are, are really stumbling over uh, most when they think about Christians is how we view this issue of homosexuality and more specifically how we hate gays um, and one of the main reasons is because of how the church is seen to be so against gay marriage. Um, so I'm, I rarely talk on gay marriage. I mean, I, I, even in churches, they're like, why don't you talk on gay marriage? It's like, because I, I want to talk about the gospel. Um, and, and often I, I want to see people coming to Christ more than anything else. Um, as things get passed, you know, I hope that the government will um, be respectful of the church and, and, and to protect the church, um, that the church doesn't have to do things that would go against um, what we believe. Um, but, uh, but it is complex when it also involves um, adoption as well. But um, I, I want us to, as we look at these issues, see that people are involved, um, good people, um, who want to do good for the community, and um, so see that um, that there are people behind it, and these people also need to know about Christ. Good. Uh, one last question, and then I want to uh, close in prayer. Uh, just personally, how are you doing health-wise with HIV positive, mm -hmm. and just uh, so how are you doing health-wise, and how can we be praying for you? Um, I. Just started taking medication last year. Um, I was actually on herbs for um, about eight or nine years, uh, taking Chinese herbs. Um, then it just got to a point where I needed to start on meds. So last year, started on meds, and um, I, you know, things have been pretty good so far. One of the side effects um, are hallucinations. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, I haven't really had uh, hallucinations yet. Um, I take them at night, so if I do, then it's, I guess I'm hallucinating at night, and, you know, um, I guess that's okay. But uh, another side effect is uh, kind of chronic or long-term is um, kidney and, and liver malfunction, and so it's um, just watching that. But things have been good. My, my numbers have been manageable. Um, and so I guess pray for me as in, kind of in the midst of my busyness, and, you know, I was just talking with Brandon about this, with trying to finish my, my degree, my, my doctorate, um, as I'm traveling, I mean, I'm, we're, my parents and I, we're pretty much gone every weekend and also doing some midweek, a lot of midweek trips um, while I teach at Moody twice a week. So I kind of don't really have days off. Um, but so it's, um, but we just really love what we're doing and so kind of giving me uh, perseverance for the long haul. Yeah. Um. Uh, there are a couple cards we didn't get to. Some of them overlapped with other questions. Um, if you do, if anybody does have questions that we couldn't get to, mm -hmm. is it okay to email you? Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. And uh, you can find Christopher's email address on his webpage, I assume, mm -hmm. which yeah. is just his name.com. Not right. his name, but ChristopherYuan.com. Yeah. Um, so, great. Well, thank you all. Let's, let's close together our time in prayer. So. God, we thank you uh, for the grace of the gospel, and that grace has been held out this morning. 
And I pray, Jesus, that you would convict every single one of us mm. of how far short we fall. Um, Lord, I pray that you would have mercy on every single one of us as we wrestle with life in a broken world, in a fallen creation where our bodies, our brains, our jobs, our families, our relationships do not work the way you designed them in the beginning. And Lord, I pray that in the midst of that brokenness, in the midst of our sin, your gospel would be beautiful. It would be transforming. It would be joyful and life-giving that you would be at work to continue to redeem all of us, Lord. And I pray that you would give uh, us compassion and consistency and completeness um, and conviction, God, as we interact with gay friends and neighbors uh, and family members. May we keep the main thing the main thing, and that is Jesus. And so I thank you so much for Christopher, for his parents taking the time to be here, Lord. Uh, I pray that you would continue to guard them in their ministry, uh, give them the rest and the health that they need. Uh, and I pray that your spirit would continue to go before them and to make the most of their ministry for your kingdom. So we thank you so much. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Now take a picture? I guess they want to take a picture.